0: Brick Moon Fiction Presents Nothing Wasted by Brian Iello, Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle There is such a thing as Tuesday in Space and the convicted war criminal Donovan McAllister finds himself smack dab in the middle of one. What's a Tuesday in Space? It's when a person is so close to the beginning of things that the end is nowhere in sight. The end is why Galactic Corporation put him a million miles past Pluto to wait, it seems, For something that he now thinks isn't going to happen. He rechecks his Euclidean position and is satisfied, the math is right, but still no GC, and if GC doesn't show up with a mission, neither does a paycheck. And he really needs a paycheck, so he waits, even though he has restarted his little or-else clock twice. He waits because his mind easily turns to his ex-wife and gambling debt. He isn't sure which he fears more, the slight woman with the weight of Mars, family court on her side, or the pug-shaped human willing to swing a crowbar for every lowly penny he finds on the street. It's also literally Tuesday for McAllister because he got here 24 Earth hours ago and has been waiting for GC to let him know why he is still holding steady. He usually runs pickups for the security wing. Crumbs tossed his way because he is a felon. Easy Crumbs, even a meathead like him, can't fuck up. This time, he surmises, is a pickup also. Galactic Court Transport Command, this is Captain McAllister Oberon awaiting instructions, over. And like every other time before, nothing. Sis? Yes, Mac? Comes the silky sweet voice of his ship's AI. Do another comm check. I am running routine diagnostics every nanosecond since your annoying requests for status checks elevated tenfold. The alert you set hours ago is still active. No abnormalities in the comm system have been found, and if you wouldn't mind, please don't ask me to do anything else unless it's at least vaguely interesting. He doesn't respond. She is a machine, after all, but still, the situation has annoyed him to the point he briefly considers deleting her and going back to the default virtual assistant. Cheeky or not, Sis is right, he has two calls out, one for GC and the other to his ex.' "'because he is supposed to be on daddy duty three Earth days from now "'and probably won't make it. "'Neither has answered. "'Anything from Galactic about an outage on the network?' "'He won't admit it out loud, "'but the silence makes him nervous "'and he pulls a pinky from his mouth "'because there is simply no more nail left to chew. "'Nothing from anything, not even social media. "'Everything is silent, not even a peep. "'Quiet, quiet, quiet. "'Her voice cracks.' and he thinks he hears static between the syllables. Sis, he curses, are the messages even getting through? He thought it was him. It had to be him. No way the whole solar system is silent. He avoids asking for another system check and instead opts for, Should we do a reboot? If you want to crawl into your suit, sure, but I am running at peak efficiency. Her growing attitude is evident. He wonders if the situation is making her nervous, but knows if he asks, he'll only make it worse. He thinks back to a pickup he was tasked with on the asteroid 243 Ida, where they got so lost and she, so frustrated, he thought she deleted herself. He had to initiate a reboot to get her to come out of hiding. If he forces her to do a reboot now, he'll have to deal with even more attitude because of these circumstances. It might be the last straw for him in dealing with this particular code-based assistant. He is about to tell her, do it anyway, when the system alarm for a white hole proximity alert makes his chest hurt with anxiety. Incoming vessel, conducting evasive maneuvers, Sis declares, as he feels himself being pressed into the command chair. Artificial or not, the feeling of being crushed is real as Sis revs the engine up to double-digit gravity force. Sis, he complains, until from seemingly out of nowhere... A ship appears, and scant feet separate them from total annihilation. Even through the UV protection of the other ship's front bonnet, he spots startled eyes and furtive movement. The arrival is a new-looking corvette, room for a four-person crew and upgradable to whatever wet dream one can be imagined. His own ship, a run-down beetle fresh off a Venus assembly line fifty years ago, pales in comparison. One bunk, a pipe to do his business in, and a large cargo hold are what he's been calling home since he got parole. He wonders briefly if this existence is even any better than living a life in the can. Before he can finish the thought, Sis reports on the ship's details. Oh, it's a blacked ship, she says, referring to galactic code that specifies all ships be registered and named. This one being blacked means sis pulling up nothing in the system, and he can tell it has everything a pirate could want in a vessel including some toys he could easily only wish for. The negative mass drive alone makes him hard. It folds space, and the tech would smooth the shit out of the rocky road life has given him to trod. A dream come true. No more day-long journeys from rocky body to rocky body. Black hole out, white hole in, paycheck cashed, rinse, repeat. Lucky fuckers, He honestly didn't know civilian ships could even get it, which makes him think this might not be a civilian ship. He shakes off what feels like a developing depression. It would take years to learn the ins and outs of the tech, and to even use it, he'd have to find the software, download the printed version into CIS because a license would be far too expensive. He imagines the argument with his quirky system. Then it would take weeks to learn how the hull manages to withstand the pressure alone, he has read about it and thought it was all speculative. A negative mass drive and the ship lists, as if the life on board was imagined. He'd love to ask how the fuck they came by at all. Anything alive over there? He asks Sis, wondering how one even operates a blacked ship nowadays, especially a tech build like this one. To keep it secret and off the net was impressive all by itself. It doesn't seem to be generating any power, but the carbon dioxide levels are increasing. I'd say yes. At least for the next little while, the remaining oxygen is keeping at least two humans alive. "'Consider yourself reported to GC, asshole,' Matt goads over the universal comm channel, hoping if they can, they'll retort. "'The UCC is the only analog thing in a space shuttle these days, and even without power theirs should still work, and hopefully they are as curious about him as he is about them. He is in a black ship, also,' No reason to think he'd even have an option of turning them in unless he turns himself in as well. Nice having a GC contract to run black. The ruse he is happy to see gets a good luck with that middle finger counter from a hand jutting up just visible inside the command deck. Mac doesn't have specific instructions from GC, but he can read the writing on the wall nonetheless. This ship is his assignment, and if nothing else, A black ship and its insolent pilot are worth at least a few months of child support, and sure thing bets. Might even manage to get a little on top of things. Update Sis and take a little vacay. Thinking about Amon's ski trip, he asks, "'Sis, send another message.' He starts talking, but instead of finishing his thought, he screams like a little girl as the frozen corpse of Matilda Veltanshong slams into the command deck's observation portal and bounces off to begin floating free, away from the star at the center of the solar system toward the darker region of space beyond Pluto. He stares at the criminal, knowing it is her without a doubt. She's a mass murderer. The person he watched gets sentenced to hell, that the whole solar system watched gets sentenced to hell. The person he knows that has been locked up in the escape-proof space prison for years circling Venus or wherever it was parked. His mind screams at the impossibility of it. Before she can float too far away, though, he demands, Sis, grab her. Carefully. Because the authorities will want her in one piece. Also, he wonders at the reason GC sent him out here, the black chip or the dead escaped felon. Maybe both, he decides. Sis, get a tow line into that hull and attach a comm torpedo. Let's find out who these people are. Aye, Captain. And the thunk of two missiles announces they've left their tubes. He watches them do their work. The fast one grabs the ship in a self-created gravity well, capturing it to Max Beetle. The slow-moving one approaches the black ship, then touches softly to form a seal before shooting a tech dart through the hull. He could share oxygen with them and hopes they are aware how much his generosity might be worth if they are patient. A connection is made and static fills the cabin. Hey, motherfucker, mind shooting us some oxygen too? She pauses to cough. Before we die? He can, but ignores the plea. Are you with GC? He asks, watching Matilda being pulled into the ship. GC is dead, dude. Everything is... We might be the last people alive, but if you don't pump some oxygen in here, you might get to call yourself the last. Her voice is tinged with an attitude that says more than fuck off. It states simply nothing you have is safe if I can get to it. He knows they are working hard to restore power, because he would. What's wrong with your ship? Nothing. Fried by an EMP pulse. Same as yours in maybe about four hours if we can't get moving before it reaches here. His mouth opens to demand details, but refrains. That's his prison experience reasserting itself. Questions reveal weakness, so he snaps his mind shut and waits for more information to appear for the taking. An EMP pulse that can wipe out the entire solar system? That would mean what? The Dyson spheres all went at the same time? The sun has gone supernova? With no Earth, they were dead anyway. How long could they live now? He knows there are outer world colonies. He calls the Uranus moon Oberon home. Thinking of home brings to mind his little one-room apartment in the small minor enclave of Mamas Chasma and wonders if maybe being dead weren't preferable. He turns to look at Sol, the lifeblood of the solar system. Does it seem brighter or dimmer, he wonders. The star he has known as Sun his whole life is bigger than the surrounding stars, but still small and there and sparkling. Could old soul be dead? How long would it take for him to know out here? Five or six hours? What bullshit Mac thinks, feeling screwed with he refreshes his calm screen and is disappointed to find the same news stories and comments on his feed from hours ago. His heart beats hard and painful, and part of him thinks maybe none of this will even matter because he's dying of a heart attack. Maybe this is some kind of afterlife. But he knows it's not a heart attack, nor that he has died already. It's his past coming back to remind him if he hadn't done what he did, he wouldn't be here in the first place. He would already be dead with his wife and child. Are they dead? The lack of information brings back memories he would rather not have come back. Memories about chaos and death, because once, before he was a space pilot for hire, he was a career soldier in the Galactic Army killing humans for a living. Uninvited memories involving swamps and firefights and the nightmare of snapping jaws from an illegal airdrop. The swirling crocodiles come to mind, as does the reminder of what he ate for lunch as it hits the back of his throat. Hey, Captain, we have a fun idea we want to run by you. He flew Helios, and his Helio was tasked to 5th Special Forces, a historical U.S. Army unit now filled with mercs. A platoon of that thought it would be a good idea to relocate some sun-worshippers to a local crock pit. The local town was known to be overrun with people whose desires run contrary to the GCs, and, instead of killing them all, terrorizing them was a better plan. He wishes the merc officer hadn't run anything by him, and begs the memory to go back to wherever his mind stores it. He hasn't thought about it for years, maybe even longer but now it runs fresh through his mind like he was living it all over again. The screams come first. Always the screams. God, it was good being on the winning team. GC was never going to turn off the Dyson spheres that blocked the rays of their precious soul, sucking them up and spitting them out as never-ending dividends, no matter how many people stood up to them, which wasn't many even when Matilda was free and proselytizing. POLITICALLY DEAD DID NOTHING TO LOWER THEIR VIOLENT IMPULSES, THOUGH. THEY BELIEVED IN CHAOS AND MAKING A GOOD SITUATION BAD. THEY WANTED THEIR BRAND OF RELIGION GOVERNING THE WORLD, FREE THE SUN, OR PAY THE CONSEQUENCES. THEY WERE INFESTED IN THE NILE TOWN OF LUXOR, HIDING IN ANCIENT BURIAL HOLES AND TERRORIZING THE LOCALS, WHICH WAS THE EXACT ARGUMENT HIS DEFENSE ATTORNEY GAVE AT HIS TRIAL a version of which he believes, still thinking back to being a few hundred feet off the ground and fully aware he was breaking all types of war conventions. Fuck those laws and fuck these people. They chose wrong and now he gets to yield the iron fist of GC Corporation justice. But oh God, those fucking screams as they drop the cargo, and the splashing water as the crocodiles do easy work of the broken humans falling into their swamp. He watched the crocs lash out at whatever fell. Angry crocs. Hungry and competitive. He remembers circling one jihad fighter, trying to make a break for the edge of the muddy river, only to be grabbed by a pack of jackals. Mac cringes at the memory of himself laughing his ass off, waiting for the violence to end, and prolonging it by tossing several more members of a terrorist group into the carnivorous orgy taking place on the bank. The water turned into a frothing, white-capped bloodbath of spinning and hissing reptiles until he couldn't take it anymore, turned his suppression system on, and used GC bullets to finish them all off. He wonders what did it, though, the human loss or the crocodilia. Many of the lizards died choking on bits like clothing and metal joints. Most died because when a soldier is trained to kill, given the opportunity, that's what they do. It was hundreds and almost the last of the Nile crocodile left in the wild. He discovered when he landed that the Helios suppression system was linked to his personal video account, and he recorded every single war crime he committed that day and would later be charged with. How? It never made sense. Maybe a GC regular who felt sorry for the bad guys. Maybe even in the service of GC there were those who wanted to reclaim the sun and see it shining untethered in the sky. Matilda was a poison that, once ingested, could not be cut away. If he hadn't found it hilarious, been captured cheering and pushing all the buttons that ended the lives, he would likely be a general, or retired now. Instead, he is a long hauler who can't step foot on earth because he was infamous by dinner, and a civilian by week's end, well, a civilian on his way to Leavenworth for a stint. Broken reptiles and red-hot bullets can do a lot of damage, and as a result, It was watched over and over again. Earth loves a bully, after all. Until Matilda and her popular mass starvation video, he was the most hated man on Earth. The media called the video the worst atrocity ever committed by Galactic, and that's all it took to spend ten years in prison. The minute he got out, he was offered financial forgiveness and a decade's worth of pickups, but in the deeper reaches of the solar system. He was fine with that, because there was nothing left for him on Earth. Again, his ex slips into his thoughts, and he wishes old wishes about her not leaving, sticking it out, not moving to Mars. He misses her, and no amount of paid-for pussy can come close to what they had. She will always be the one for him. It was the love and cooperation he misses that disappeared and felt like an arm or leg was removed. Well, cooperation in that he got to go to war and kill things, and she got to stay home miserable and bored. He watches as the great enemy Matilda is pulled into his ship and finds himself confronted by his own lack of belief in a god. Maybe once he was okay believing in something, but now it's like the empty space around him has stained his soul. Matilda was the opposite. Even over the live-streamed trial that sent her to hell, people could tell there was only one truth for her, that the sun should be freed. She asked thousands of people to kill themselves with hunger in protest, and they did. He wonders briefly if maybe things might have gone differently for him if he had found something other than combat to worship. He killed thousands of people that she poisoned with her ideas. She convinced them to face off against impossible odds. Not him. Yet he carries guilt for doing his job. You're not even curious, dude? Her voice shocks him back into the moment, and he says, No, because he has not. Life equals death. There are no other answers than that. Sis, turn the com off. It'll be better if they need to die of asphyxiation that I do not have to hear. What should I do with her? Sis asks. Cargo bay, keep it sealed and cold. I don't want her getting all bloated. Pristine Matilda is preferred. He contemplates how, while fearing the connection he has with her. If it's her and he knows it can't be her. It makes no logical sense. The body has to belong to a long dead spacer separated from her ship. Maybe connected to the sudden appearance of the blacked corvette. Happens all the time. Maintenance yields to something catastrophic. This unfortunate soul just looks like the most notorious woman to ever live in the Sol system. Unfortunate as that may be. Max sees a little puff of atmosphere announcing the door to cargo opening. Sis drags her inside with a bio-arm and announces, Cargo acquired. I suggest you strap her down before setting coordinates. He nods, thinking it a good point, and moves toward the ladder that allows access to airtight cargo hold aft, but decides, fuck it, no use waiting a second longer. Let's get this over with, set a course to Siron base, and keep trying to raise Galactic. She doesn't respond maybe because she got overruled, God, he hates technology, but can feel the ship adjust heading and the engines fire, so at least she is still heeding him. There is a slight bounce as the tow line straightens, and then no hint that they are dragging an equal-sized ship behind. Keep an eye on our friend over there. Still, Sis is silent as he adjusts his attention to his guest. So, are you the great Matilda? Matilda looks happy the smile on her face, peaceful. How did you get out here? The question's in a whisper, hoping Sis will chime in with an answer. Instead, the entire cargo section is creaking like it were filled with frogs and mosquitoes. The air is dry and there is a stench of rot, like wood that has been sitting in water too long. It's a smell he remembers and wishes were not washing into his face right now. Matilda's eyes are blue and ice-cold and sparkle with so much love. Mac wonders what it must have felt like to have the living version staring at him. Would he have turned into a brainless follower immediately, or would she have had to work on him? He touches her, expecting rock-hard frozen flesh, but has to pull back his hand as if burned. She is warm to the touch, and as her flesh yields under his hand, he immediately finds himself thrust into the swamp." A monster rears out of the water in a sudden splash of brown, muddy water. He smells rotting fish and reptilian stomach acid. He screams in fear and pushes back from the beast, but it's too late. The thing has him. It tugs backward, and he has no choice but to follow as a thousand pounds of reptilian flesh crushes him over and over again as the creature rolls with him securely gripped in its teeth. He hopes for a bullet or anything to put him out of his agony, but it doesn't come. Only time does, which eventually erases his need for anything. Brody Greer gasps in shock as the lights in her ship suddenly turn on. She floats. Her body hurts. Her head throbs awful. She feels hung over and even thinks she tastes the remnants of antifreeze in her mouth. She feels like the woken dead. She feels like she was just pushed from the deepest sleep possible. Unsure what just happened, she racks her brain for an explanation. She remembers desperation and choking and the sting of her skin begging to breathe and then bright lights and… then what comes next? She has a sudden epiphany that erases that fact completely as she braces herself for impact. Hempt, full-on asleep still as he floats in his depleted EVA suit, hits the ground with a sudden bang and a stunning string of curses as the ship's artificial gravity reclaims them both. Jazz, the android designed to look like a Highlands gorilla but with red fur, crashes headfirst into Hempt, and in the resulting silence, Brody wonders if she will need to recruit a new technology officer. But eventually, the one she has moans, indicating bruised does not equal dead. "'Ah, shit, she's toast,' he says, flipping Jazz over. "'Looks like my first task will be returning her back to life, or we ain't going anywhere.' He finishes talking and looks down adoringly at the head cradled in his lap, the head belonging to the construct he has called his baby one too many times for comfort. Ignoring the implication of that, Brody agrees, but knows now's not the time. We're already moving, Hempt. Get us off that tow line before we start in orbit and die smeared to the wall from the G's. Hempt quickly assesses the situation and writes out an equation. He nods and sends Brody the speed correlation that will break everything just right and give her control over the other ship. Anyone alive over there? Doesn't appear so. Stupid asshole could have done us a favor and set his speed properly if he was trying to arrest somebody, Brody says through clenched teeth and pulling gently back on the throttle, happy to see things line up, meaning they might live after all. What's he doing over there? she asks. It looks like he's on a heading to Karin. ETA nine days? Should we unhitch? Hempt asks. Not till we get that com torpedo out of our hull. Then what? Brody isn't sure and sits back, waiting for an answer to materialize. She is now possibly the richest woman in a newly dead solar system. Could she go elsewhere? She could theoretically pop a black hole and go anywhere, and she begins playing with that idea of maybe going to the dying star Betelgase, She always wanted to go and has heard it is the most beautiful thing in the known galaxy. Any new instructions in the box? She watches him scan the virtual network box inside his augmented reality display. No, in fact, we haven't received a new message since blowing the Dyson spheres. It's starting to feel like we are the last people alive. We might be. Tell me more about him, she requests, jutting her chin forward at the ship towing them. With a fury of keystrokes, he sighs. Complete moron, said his security passcode is the name of the Mars Colony Pro Football Team. The Beavers, she whispers, wondering if the passcode was a double entendre, being that Mars was also well known for its gray area of favoring human trafficking and prostitution. Can you fold space to car and base, attached? If it can be done. The negative mass drive negates physics. We could pull a planet if we could generate a large enough field. But if I failed, it'd kill us both and possibly wipe out what's left of humanity, he says, eyeing her with a wink. As if I'd let you Adam the human race back to life with me. Keep your eye on the prize, space boy. He laughs, but she can tell he is a bit wounded. I need Jazz for a jump anyway. Her system is wiped clean. Not even an AI shadow to hack into. Could have used it to set a course, but no such luck. Any chance his AI is still lurking over there? She asks, still unsure of a destination, even if they could escape. Let me check. After a few minutes of clicking, he whispers, No. No what? And he just sits, as if his body had given up on the will to support itself. After a few heartbeats, which pound painfully against her ribs, she finds herself desperately pleading for him to say something. I found a video file. She doesn't want to ask him to put it on the main screen. She hasn't known the spacer that long, but she knows enough about human behavior to assume how he feels, and she finds herself not willing to subject herself to it. She wasn't lying when she said the whole system was likely dead. When they lost power mid-journey between destination portals, she was sure the released energy from the sun was their doom. She was sure it was revenge and no one would survive. But they did, even surviving loss of air. But nope. She's still alive and starting to think she'll likely live forever, rich as fuck, with nowhere to spend her money. Put it on view, she says, preparing herself for something a lot less worse than the reality she gets to witness. So, you are the great Matilda, the man says. Hempt swivels around in his chair after. It looks like he is going to say something, and she hopes he does. Something to take the images still playing in front of her and make sense of them. Instead, he flicks his index finger and the video stops playing. It started with 15 minutes of slamming himself into the bulkheads around his cargo section. Is he, she asked before trailing off, eating himself? His AI? Suicided. What the fuck are you talking about? He doesn't answer. Instead, he yells, look, and points to their starboard side and she does look, spying a woman floating a dozen or so meters away. Shock doesn't describe it as the woman smiles her famous smile and waves. Maybe an eternity passes with them staring into each other's eyes, maybe only a single moment, but it ends when a white hole pops behind the effigy and her almost ephemeral body. This is when Brody becomes intimately aware of only one fact. She'd follow that woman anywhere. Brian Iello hosts weekly podcasts on creativity and speculative fiction and is a writer of fantasy, sci-fi, and the macabre. Raised on Florida's Gulf Coast, Brian served in the Army, graduated from the University of South Florida, and now calls Brooklyn home. For more of his fiction and links to his podcasts, visit www.brianiello.com and follow him on Twitter, at Bri Aiello. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.